grace, uh, mercy, and peace to you uh, from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been encountering different people here on our Lenten journey as we're journeying from Ash Wednesday uh, to Holy Week to Good Friday to Easter. Jesus has been encountering different characters. Uh, The first week we looked at uh, the encounter with the devil in the wilderness. Then it was the encounter with uh, Nicodemus at night. Then it was last week the encounter of the woman at the well. And today we see Jesus encountering uh, the blind man. And uh, this may very well be one of my most favorite uh, passages of scripture. Uh, it's had a place in my life for a long time. Uh, my wife and I, we've talked about it for a long time and, and prayed over it and pondered it. And I remember talking with it about her, uh, with her about it long before we were married, long before we had kids, long before we were even dating. We were just uh, young adults in ministry together. And it has a, a story that I think that we can relate to, all of us can relate to the blind man in John chapter 9. Because I think all of us can relate to the story because all of us have had something bad brought upon us in our lives. And either we were born into it or it was thrust upon us. And the bad things, the broken things in the world that come upon us by no fault of our own. And I think that a lot of us in our lives, when those things, when we think about them and ponder them, we wonder why. We say, why me? We say, why us? Why this? Why that? Have you ever had that before? Something come into your life and you say, why? Why, God? We're going to see a bit of that in our text today, and I hope that maybe John chapter 9 will speak to that in our journey. I want you to pay attention to the blind man's journey, and I want you to think about how your life maybe resembles his life. And along the way, through John chapter 9, we're going to encounter Jesus' disciples. We're going to encounter the blind man's neighbors. We're going to encounter his parents. We're going to encounter the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders at the time, really the leaders of Israel at the time. And so speaking of why, right off the bat, the disciples are asking why. And we're we're going to look at John chapter 9, the whole chapter. We've done it before, so I know you can do it. And we're going to do it in 23 minutes or less, all right? John chapter 9, it's printed in your bulletin too if you want to make some notes and uh, all chapter there. Thank you, Chris Higgins, for putting the whole thing in there. It's also going to be up on the screen, on your phone, or whatever. We're going to look at the te- text and, and, and digest it together. And, uh, and bear with me, because Pastor Bob was supposed to be preaching, but he broke his ankle, which I think he's faking it. Anyway, <laughs> he had to preach five times this weekend. I was like, That's a, you know, anyone can Photoshop a broken ankle, you know? I mean, give me a break. No, just kidding. He really broke his ankle. Keep him in your prayers. And uh, we're all stepping up, so bear with me here. But John chapter 9, we get into this why right off the bat. Chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, that's Jesus. Jesus saw, Jesus saw, love that, that's huge. Jesus saw a man blind from birth. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, basically they said, why? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why is he blind? And see, in their day, in their thinking, there was this direct cause and effect. And even the rabbis taught, well, you could commit one specific sin in the womb, and because of that sin in the womb, then it would affect your life. You'll be born blind, or you have some sort of calamity or something in your life. And so they're asking Jesus, why? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was blind? A tit-for-tat type of thing. The disciples were essentially asking the wrong question. As we look at them asking the wrong question, we look at our lives and we say, do we ever ask the wrong questions? Do we get caught up in theological debates that sort of miss the point? 
Jesus says, don't speculate on the why here. Focus on the what. Jesus says, let's focus on the what that we are going to do, you and I. We're going to do something about this why. And so here in chapter 9, verse 3, I kind of made my own translation. I can do that, okay? I've got a PhD in Greek grammar, okay? So I've changed it a bit, and I have a whole bunch of other people that are along with me on this that I've studied with, and they say, yeah, this is probably the better way to translate it. Jesus replied, neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. Okay? Done. That's it. Then he moves into a new thought, and he says, but rather... In order that the works of God might be displayed in him, verse 4, we must do the works of him who sent me. That is the Father, while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. You see, Jesus goes beyond the why of the blind man. And he focuses on the what of helping this man right in front of him. This blind man is not a philosophy question nor a theological debate. And when we see Jesus focus on this man, we always remember that Jesus always demonstrates concrete expressions of love with real people rather than having theoretical conversations about theology or philosophy or why. And so the irony abounds right off the shoot in John chapter 9, straight out the shoot, the disciples are the ones that are actually blind. Verse 5, Jesus continues and he says this. He says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, verse 6, he spit on the ground, he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Now, we hear that today, and we're like, that's kind of gross, right? But in Jesus' day, saliva was almost considered a curative element. It was like medicinal. So this is not foreign to them, okay? And so he mixes it together. He makes this mud. Verse 7, he says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. And so the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. A man born blind comes home seeing. What should be the reaction there? It should be a party, right? Celebration, amazement, joy. Let's celebrate this awesome thing in this guy's life. But instead, a public, public argument ensues. Multiple people get involved. Everybody's watching, including us, and an interrogation begins. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? We should stop there for a moment. He was a blind beggar, okay? In Jesus' day, there were no seeing eye dogs. There were no braille books. There were no programs for the blind. There's no welfare. He's a beggar. No employment, no marriage, no social honor. He was at the bottom. His future was bleak, hopeless, dark. Verse 9 continues, Some claimed that this is the guy. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. So you're sitting here, he's encountering his neighbors. The neighbors are so stuck in their old paradigm, they couldn't see the work of God in front of them, that this man that they know had been healed. We learn a little side point that God is always bigger, he's always more, he's always far beyond our way of thinking and constructing the world. 
Verse 13 continues on. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. They brought him because that something big has happened here. We need some authorities to try and tell us what really is going on. Verse 14. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. You see, the Pharisees were mad at Jesus because he broke the Sabbath and healed this guy. But they weren't so mad at the fact that he healed him. They were more upset. Many theologians have said they were more upset that he was mixing mud. He was kneading. And the Sabbath laws had gone out of control at this time. So he was mixing mud and saliva. He was working on the Sabbath. And so somehow he broke the law, right? I mean, have you seen churches? Sometimes churches, they'll go into World War III over the color of the carpet, right? That's kind of the thing. Making a, little, make a mountain out of a little tiny speck of dust. Division. Jesus brings divisions here. But he brings the real division, the real division that matters to focus on what is right. Verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he, Jesus, opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. So, though the man is physically able to see, spiritually he's not totally able to see who Jesus is. In the beginning he said he's the man called Jesus. Now he's saying he's a prophet. His eyes are starting to open a bit to who, the eyes of his heart are opening a bit to see who this Jesus is. Verse 18, the story continues. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Well, we know he is our sons, the parent answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees at the time, they were not open to Jesus. They had already made up their mind. They had already closed their eyes. They refused to believe. They were blind. The only thing they could see was preserving their religious system. The only thing they could see was safety and control and power. The Pharisees, the parents, the parents were blinded by fear. The ramifications of telling the truth would mean rejection from the system, from the safety, from the control, from the community. They were blind. Verse 24, the story continues a second time. They, the Pharisees, summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Basically saying, we can't be, be wrong, so what are you hiding from us? Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. The blind man, she's saying, yeah, you guys are the experts, but I'm the expert in this and no one can take it away. I know that I was blind and I know that I see. Verse 26, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? 
Verse 27, he answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) You got to love that, right? This blind beggar, nobody, no future, an outcast, no one cares about this guy. He's a nobody. And all of a sudden, he's touched by Jesus. And he's beginning to be filled with the spirit, his character, and his courage. And the truth grows within him. He is basically saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus. To the Pharisees, to the leaders, of the, to the, the people that have control of his quote-unquote earthly identity. Verse 28 and 29, the story continues. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but for us, this fellow, this Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. Verse 30, the man answered. The man, right? Not the blind man, not the one who was blind, but the man. The man answered. Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The power, the conviction, the confidence, the courage that this blind man is speaking to these Pharisees, these religious leaders. He went from that man they called Jesus to a prophet, and now he's calling him a man from God. And how did the Pharisees react in verse 34? To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I mean, it kind of sounds like something you'd see on the kindergarten playground, right? They resort to childish anger, lashing out the leaders of the society. The disciples were blind. They were caught up in theology and speculation not in helping the blind man. The neighbors were blind, stuck in their own way of seeing and constructing the world. The Pharisees were blind, wanting to preserve their system of power and control. The parents were blind by fear of rejection. The blind man sees. The man sees clearly. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe In the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I might believe him. Verse 1, Jesus saw him. Verse 35, Jesus found him. Verse 37, Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Powerful. When he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. I mean, he, he fell at the feet of Jesus. To worship meant to kneel down. The blind man could see, and he says, Lord, I believe in you, Jesus. He went from calling him that man they called Jesus to he's a prophet, to a man from God, to now he calls him Lord, and he confesses his faith. This nobody, this outcast who nobody cared about, who had no future and no place, who lived in darkness, who was nothing. God saw him. God found him. God healed him, not so much his eyes, but his heart to see the truth of who Jesus is. His vision became so clear by the end of the story that he could see the light of Jesus, and that light shined into his being. 
Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who will see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus came for blind beggars to heal and to empower with his light. By the end of those 41 chapters, by this interchange we see of all these characters and these people, we see that the relentless logic of the Pharisees is just completely absurd. And the question the disciples asked in the beginning, who sinned? Who sinned? The disciples sinned. The neighbors sinned. The parents sinned. The Pharisees sinned. The disciples wanted to know why. Jesus says, let's not spend so much time with the why. Let's spend time with the what. Verse 3, Jesus replied, neither this man nor his parents sinned, period, done. But rather, in order that the works of God might be displayed in this man's life, we, you and I, must do the works of him who sent me while it's day Night is coming when no one can work. You see, Jesus doesn't spend time speculating about the cause of the blindness of the blind man. He doesn't spend focusing on why, but he seeks to remedy. Instead of looking back, Jesus looks forward. So I think we're called this morning to ask a question about our own lives. What's your blindness? Maybe it was something you were born into. Maybe it's a physical disability. Maybe it's an awful family. Maybe it was a disease, a cancer, autism, depression, an absent father, an abusive mother, a divorce, poverty, or maybe even wealth. Maybe it was thrust on you. Sometime in your life, a crime committed, a death, a divorce, an abandonment, unemployment, a disease, a rejection, whatever it is. We all have a blindness that has come upon us. And Jesus invites us this morning to spend not so much time speculating as to the why, not so much time seeing it from only one perspective, not so much time trying to control it, not so much time trying to be afraid. We can wonder about the why, or we can receive the what of Jesus, the healing. This past week, I was talking to Trevor about his ordination coming up. Have you heard about the ordination coming up? You see that picture? I know Trevor didn't want to announce his own thing, so but you better be there, people. Come on, three o'clock. All right, it's going to be awesome. It's a big deal. Anyway, what were we talking about? All right, we were talking about Trevor's ordination, and I and it got me thinking. And I started talking. We were talking about my own ordination, and we we're talking about how that is, and and I got to think about my own ordination. And it was just a great day to be ordained as a pastor, and it was just filled. With, with, with joy, celebration, and, and, and Pastor Tim was there, it was awesome, and, and I just loved it. I was up in L.A. County, a great day, got home so tired, and then the phone rang. My brother said, you better come down to San Diego. Long story short. I was ordained on Sunday, and my dad died on Monday. And I asked the question, why? 
And as a vicar, I never had a chance to do a funeral, actually. And then in my small little church, we had funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral right after my dad had died, and I asked why a lot. And then at the pulpit of one of the many funerals I was conducting, I couldn't handle it anymore, kind of like I'm doing right now. And my own grief, it overcame me. And I broke down in the middle of the service, and it was why. But you see, speculating as to the why is not what I needed. What I needed was the what of Jesus. I needed his healing. I needed his radical, Sabbath-breaking, mud and spit-making, legalism-challenging, narrow-minded, religiosity-breaking, fear-destroying power and love and healing that can only come from the Lord of the church and of the world and of the universe. And I learned it's not important to spend a lot of time on the why. Jesus says, don't spend too much time on the why. I've got a what for you. I've got healing for you. And he has a mission for us. We must do the works of him who sent me. So when I came to St. John's as a pastor here, I was no stranger to death. Through my father's death and through the countless other funerals I had conducted at my other church, and eventually the healing of the what of Jesus found me. And so it happened that the why sort of actually became clear later on, maybe. A couple months after I came here to St. John's, I was down in El Toro doing something like with my family. I got a phone call. There was a baby on life support at Chalk. His twin sister was thriving, and he was not. And the why questions abounded. And I had no answers. I had no answer to why. A couple months later, I baptized him with his family. A couple months later, the decision was made to take him off of life support. Now, remember that December morning, walking from the car to chalk, into chalk, into the elevator, up the stairs, down the hall, and walking into this room. And the family was gathered, maybe 30 people, to pull this little child off of life support. And I realized that my father's death and every funeral I had so painfully wondered the why about, every single one of them had prepared me for that very moment, for that very family to commend that little child, Ethan, to commend him to his heavenly father. And I felt the spirit of God working through me, somehow being the light of Jesus in the dark, dark, blinding time and moment. The healing what of Jesus redeemed all the pain-laden wise. And I could see. My friends, there are so many Blind beggars out there in need of us, us who have been healed, us who can see. Jesus saw us, he found us, and we have seen him clearly. And we must do the work while it is still day and shine the light of Jesus to all that they might see.